I'm Deidre. I'm Chelsea. And we're giving you a million murders. This has been honestly long overdue because Jessica asked for this story like last year and I've had it done since last year, but then I keep doing more stuff. So I've decided today is the day I'm going to be covering the mysterious death of Kathleen Peterson, which is, you know, the documentary based off of it is The Staircase, Mm -hmm. and then HBO just did um, a series called Staircase or The Staircase or whatever, Um, and this is that story. Mm. Yes, so, and this is going to be, I think, a three? Three Three-parter? It may be a four-parter. I can't remember, because it was a lot of information. Yeah. So, no, it may be three parts, and I tried to make it two, but it was going to be, like, too long to even try to make it just two parts. <laughs> two hours episode. Myra would love that. She yeah. loved, she's like, y'all don't make your episodes longer. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're just teasing you. <laughs> so, okay. So, this is part one to The Mysterious Death of Kathleen Peterson. Michael and Kathleen Peterson mm-hmm. seemed to have it all. They had been married only four years when Kathleen was found dead at the bottom of her mansion staircase and only 48 years old. What unfolds next, what unfolds next, what unfolds next, (laughs) splits their big family onto two sides. The side of the husband Michael and the side of Kathleen's sisters. On December 9th, 2001, in Durham, North Carolina, around 2.41 in the morning, the local dispatch gets a call from Michael Peterson. He tells the operator to come quickly because his wife has had a terrible accident. You can hear him panicking and then the line goes dead. He calls back again and asks where they are. A few minutes later at 2.48, the paramedics arrive at their house. Shortly after, Todd, one of Michael's sons, shows up at the house. So Michael has four children. Mm -hmm. He has two from his first marriage with Patricia Peterson, which is Todd and Clayton. It was Patricia. It was Patricia. (laughs) (laughs) And the twin daughters, Martha and Margaret, they adopted while they were still infants from their friend. Kathleen had a daughter from a previous marriage as well, and her name is Caitlin Atwater. So the EMTs go inside, and they hear sobbing, so they head to the back of the house where it's coming from, and they find Michael cradling Kathleen at the bottom of the stairwell, and blood is everywhere. Mm -mm. There's blood on Kathleen on the walls, the stairway, and some on Michael from touching her. Michael appears to be in shock while the EMTs are checking her pulse and vitals. Todd turns to his dad and says, she's dead, dad. And Kathleen is pronounced dead at the scene. Hmm. So I'm going to play the 911 call so that you all can just kind of hear that. Not kind of, you're going to hear it. (laughs) Okay, so... Here this is. John, now, why were you emergency? Oh, 1810 Cedar Street, please. What's wrong? My wife had an accident. She's still breathing. What kind of accident? She's still in the stairs. She's still breathing. Please, 
creepy i'm not gonna lie that kind of creeped me out yeah so that's the first one um and then you know he calls back that second time and he's like is anybody coming you know like what's going on and they're like you know they basically tell him they're on their way sir you know and so that was the first you know 911 call so now she's pronounced dead at the scene so a little after three o'clock in the morning, Detective Art Holland arrives at the house and is shocked at the amount of blood for someone who fell down the stairs and mm -hmm. it's not all in one place. Right. He doesn't instantly know it's a crime, but he thinks it could be so. Um, he ends up getting a search warrant. Mm -hmm. He's also trying to get Todd and Michael together to ask them some questions. Michael is seemingly in shock. He's moving around the kitchen and going back and forth to his computer while Todd is making phone calls. Once he finally gets them together, he asks what they think happened. Todd says that his stepmother, Kathleen, routinely drinks and takes Valium as well. He thinks she had an accident and fell down the stairs. Okay, so mm -hmm. there's that. Kathleen's younger sister, Candace Hunt Zamperini, and there were four siblings. There's their brother, which they didn't say his name, Kathleen, then Candace, and their younger sister. So those two aren't named. And I've never really heard mm -hmm. their names before. I mean, I guess I could have just found it. But anyway, Kathleen and Candace are the two that we really focus on. Mm -hmm. So she described her sister as very planned and organized. She was very smart and was the first female student to be in the engineering program at Duke University. Hmm. Uh-huh. While there, she met Fred Atwater, and then they had Caitlin. While married to Fred, she found out he was cheating on her and got a divorce. After the divorce, she rebuilt her, rebuilt, <laughs> she rebuilt her life and found a job at Nortel in communications and marketing. She became the senior vice president while being a single mother raising Caitlin. So I'm like, okay, go off, sis. Okay, mm -hmm. she's she is about that life. Okay, she is. She's getting it. Yes, she's strong. She's independent. She's like, oh, you gonna cheat on me, friend? <laughs> well, deuces, I'm out. And now I'm, you know, senior vice president. Mm -hmm. So in 1986, she meets Michael, who was recently separated. He also went to Duke after graduating high school in Nashville. Mm -hmm. He graduated from Duke as a political science major. Uh, he had gone into the Marine Corps and served in Vietnam before college and started writing military fiction novels based on his time in the military. So he's a writer. Um, he wrote a book called A Time of War based on Vietnam, and it became a New York Times bestseller. So, I mean, it yeah. was very successful. He ended up having a column in the newspaper in town as well. So in Durham, you know, he wrote newspaper columns and yeah. stuff. So they were like a power couple, two smart, confident people. They get married and bring their children together. So they have a blended family. They bought the 10,000 square foot home. Wow. With the, yeah, I mean, 
this is this is like a mansion. I would not want to own no ten thousand. Well, I mean, why wouldn't you when you have enough money that you don't have to clean your house? Yeah, but even like no, I mean, now I'm not saying I easy, would want it. That's the easy people way to be coming breaking in there, breaking in, hiding. That's the easy. Listen, dead. I talk about this every time because I say that, but I know deep down I do not want a house that big. Mm-mm. I can't because I think about that's that. Uh, gosh, that show revenge that i used to mm-hmm. watch and they'd be like oh so and so was in the west wing this whole time yeah. and it's like yeah negative yeah because yeah. you got too big of a house mm-hmm. if somebody can be in your house and you don't know it too because big. it's so big it's too big <laughs> okay period i don't have time for that Mm-mm, not either unless you're gonna buy a little sensors for every single door and window in the house which that's gonna cost five hundred thousand dollars just do that if you got a ten thousand dollars square mm-hmm. ten thousand dollars square foot. Like, I'm ten thousand square foot home Okay, so this home had two stairways and a huge pool with Michael's money from his book. So they bought all they bought that house with the money from his book. Uh, this is also where Kathleen was found at the bottom of the staircase in a pool of her own blood. Back to the scene of the crime, the forensics team comes to search the catalog and catalog the scene. Michael heard about the search warrant Detective Holland was obtaining. And when he heard about it, he asked if he needed a lawyer. Todd then starts calling Michael's brother, who lives in Vegas, and is a lawyer. His brother told Todd that they were being treated as a suspect and not to say anything else to the police. Daniel George was a crime scene technician who was at the Peterson home that night. He says he went and met with the officers on the scene. Daniel was with the State Bureau of Investigation um, blood specialist, Dwayne Deaver. So it's Daniel and Dwayne Deaver, and he's that blood specialist. They had Michael and Todd take off their clothes because even Todd had blood on him at this point. They get the clothes and get them contained, take the still photos, videotape, and mark off the scene. Daniel said they were they did a very thorough investigation of the entire set of steps of the back stairway. There were 19 steps that she was supposed to have fallen down, and all the blood was centered just on the landing at the bottom of the stairway and the entrance to the stairway. The CSI starts searching the rest of the home for evidence. They find two wine glasses in the kitchen, one with wine in it and the other one that was empty. They saw a speck of blood on the cabinet that the wine glasses were in. There was also one droplet of blood on the front porch of the entrance to the house. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this was about 50 feet from where her body was found. A lot of the physical evidence found right away didn't seem to add up. When the detectives release the scene, her body is taken to the medical examiner's office, and now they have to wait for the toxicology report to come back. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he's done said she's drinking and taking Valium, so they're going to see, you know, what else going on there. So... Later the morning of December 9th, Candace, which is Kathleen's younger sister, mm-hmm. gets a call from Michael. Michael asks to speak to her husband. He wasn't home and didn't say why he needed to speak with him. Um, so she just gave Michael his number and figured he wanted to talk about stocks or something dealing with finances. Mm-hmm. When her husband came home, he said Michael had called him and told him that Kathleen had died and that she'd fallen down the stairs. He didn't think it was necessary to let his her sister know? He, I don't know. 
it was like he didn't want to tell her. He wanted to tell the husband. So I guess the husband could tell her because he didn't mm-hmm. want to break the news to her. But she's dead. Which I could see that too. Yeah. But... Yeah. But like she's dead. And then I don't know. There's a, there's a couple of things here. I'm like, okay. Did the husband come home right away? I hope so. Yeah. Like if my sister's dead, you need to be, you know. But anyway. So he didn't tell her. He told her husband. Okay, so the next day, Candace and their sister, Lori, Lori's the other sister. Mm. Okay, I don't know if this is the older sister or the youngest. Well, no, I think there's four of them. The brother, Kathleen, her, and the younger sister. So this is the younger sister, Lori, and her head to Durham to plan Kathleen's funeral. When they pull up to the house, the entire property is covered with yellow tape, and an officer tells her it's a crime scene. She asked him what made him think that, to which he replied, there's a lot of blood. So she's like, yeah, this is supposed to be an accident. She was confused because Michael's story was so vague as she kept talking to the police officer. He kept telling her that there is a lot of blood and to prepare herself. After the police finish with the scene, Candace and Lori go into the house. When they get to the staircase, she describes the blood being washed on the walls, eight to ten feet high on the wow. walls. Yeah. It was thick on the floor and on the stairs. She said it was everywhere. Michael is just saying she fell and not giving any details about what happened. Then he kind of walks away from her, but she isn't giving up just yet. She's like, I need to know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, you think she falls down the stairs, you think maybe there's just going to be a little bit of blood. You know, they're saying there's or a if lot. Any at all. Yeah, you know, and then they're saying there's a lot of blood. It's like, okay, well, maybe she you know, cracked her head open. So all this blood's pulling out from her head. So it's probably, and then it's eight to 10 feet up washed on the walls. There's blood everywhere. And so she's like, what is going on? So Michael tells her that they were celebrating last night or well that night Mm -hmm. that she died because one of his books could end up being a movie deal. They watched a movie and they were drinking wine and then they went out to the pool and had more wine. He noted that she had a Valium to help herself relax, and this was a normal thing for Kathleen to do. After about 45 minutes, it was getting chilly outside, and Kathleen went in, leaving Michael outside smoking his pipe for about another 45 minutes to an hour. Then, he went inside and found Kathleen at the bottom of the stairs. So, they asked him, do we need to get a lawyer? He said, yeah lawyer up they're treating you like a suspect Mm -hmm. so michael hires david rudolph and he is a well-known criminal defense attorney in the south he has even represented an nfl player accused of murder he is known as being a smart and brilliant lawyer and his co-counsel is thomas marr like m-a-h-e-r marr like bill marr um they were (laughs) they were contacted not too long after Kathleen died, he was still going through the grieving process and dealing with the police questioning him. While this is happening, a new prosecutor takes on the case. So, you know, the other side. Mm-hmm. Former District Attorney James E. Harden. Their first plan of action was to see if Michael's version of the incident being an accident had any truth behind it. So, the crime scene technician said the landing where most of the blood was found was dry, the blood on the steps were dry, and the only blood that wasn't dried was in the cracks of the flooring where air couldn't easily access to dry. It told him that her death had been 20 to 30 minutes before he had arrived. 
So before crime scene people get there. So that was like, what, three o'clock? And he called at like one forty or two, you know. So he's saying, you know, she died before, well, I guess before the ambulances get there, like 20, 30 minutes. The wall outside the stairway had blood spattered up to nine feet high. The scene didn't look like an accidental death. And before the toxicology report is back, they decide they have enough to charge Michael with murder. Now, so you can visualize this. It's not like a normal staircase where it's one wall and the other side is like open, Mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of staircases are. This staircase is like, if you're walking toward the staircase from the front of the house, I believe, it's all enclosed. So it's like, it's just a little Kinda opening. Like Sarah and Joseph's staircase. Yes. it's all enclosed. Yes. So, yeah. Except it's like to the side. And so when you go up, you're like going up into, like, a, like the step up mm-hmm. is in the wall. And then it turns and goes up. Like the flight of stairs is on the wall that you're walking beside Mm -hmm. whenever you're about to turn into the staircase. So then you turn, go up a couple steps and then you turn again and go up. So that blood is on the outside, the wall outside the stairway up to nine feet high too. So it's in the stairwell all on those walls. And then it's also on the outside of the wall. Okay. So they charge him with murder. December 20th, 11 days after Kathleen's death, Michael turns his, turns himself in to the Durham police, but claimed his innocence. Everyone was shocked that he was a suspect in his wife's murder. David Rudolph, his lawyer, says accidental falls in the house are the leading cause of death in the U.S. Caitlin Atwater, which is Kathleen's child with Fred, Mm -hmm. and the other kids are rallying behind Michael. They know he had nothing to do with the murder. They're devastated as Christmas is coming and they've lost their mother and now their father is being put in jail. Like, Mm. which sucks. I mean, you know, it's hard enough to lose a family member right before Christmas. And then now your dad's in jail for the murder. And now y'all are just, you know, and like, if you watch the show and stuff, you know that like they were alone on Christmas. And so it was like just the kids went ahead and they did Christmas. Mm Um, you know, all together and just cooked and stuff. But the way Kathleen was, like, she was such a planner. You know, she would have had, oops, she would have had, like, a whole meal planned, ready. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have been, like, a whole thing. And now they're just kind of, like, a bunch of, like, teens, early 20-year-old kids yeah. just kind of scrambling some stuff together and just, just so they can be together. So I thought that was really sad. Um, but a month later on January 14th, 2002, Michael has his bond hearing and his bond is set for $850,000. Wow. Yeah. So they're like, you're, that's a lot of moolah. Yeah. Yeah. But I ain't got, yeah. Over a quarter of a million dollars. So, I mean, so yeah. And then on February 17th, Kathleen's autopsy report is released. The state medical examiner, Deborah Radish performed the exam. She finds some shocking things like scratches and contusions, which contusions are blood collecting outside of a blood vessel, Mm -hmm. all over Kathleen's body. Normally with a fall, you'll see some injuries to the nose, brow line, and chin. Um, 
she had little cuts and scratches on her face. She also had little cuts and contusions on her arms that looked like defensive marks. Hmm. Yeah. When e- Interesting. Mm-hmm. When examining Kathleen, Kathleen's skull, she shaves her head and finds seven deep lacerations in the back Gosh. of her skull. Yeah. They're almost in the shape of pitchforks. Like, God. it's like... <laughs> the pitchfork, the story... Was flying in the air and it. Oh, the. Po- well, wasn't that a fire poker? Oh, it was a fire poker. Which, I mean, <laughs> we'll get to that. But we're talking about that episode in the, the Georgia hauntings that Chelsea did, oh, that and that, so that thing came out the wall and it started beating that poor boy. I hope that he made it. Um, so, yeah. So, these deep seven lacerations were almost in, yeah, like in the shape of pitchforks. Mm-hmm. It was like there'd be one that was like a little longer almost and two shorter ones. Mm-hmm. It was really, it's really creepy looking. Ugh, I don't want to look. Yeah. It's, I don't remember if I've actually seen, I don't think I've actually seen her picture, but they do like, yeah, they do it on the HBO special and they show it just like it would have been seen. And it's like, and if you see the autopsy sketch where yeah. it's just a circle that's supposed to be a head and then the marks, it looks creepy. It looks creepy there too. Okay, so, um, Dr. Radish reports this is more than just falls down the stairs. This is someone who was badly beaten. The autopsy strengthened the case. The autopsy strengthened the case against Michael, but the family is still standing behind them. District Attorney James Harden wants the family on his side. He knows that this was a murder, but he also knows the chances the jury will convict Michael will be better if the family is on the state's side. James has Candace come down to Durham to talk to him. He's telling her a little bit about the trial, and he's telling, she's telling him she doesn't believe Michael killed her sister. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, why do you even have me down here? I know he didn't do it. So initially, he didn't want to show the pictures to her because mm-hmm. it would be cruel. Right. You know, he was like, I shouldn't do this. But he felt Candace needed to see the severity of the crime to understand why they were going for the murder charges. Mm-hmm. So she decides that she does want to see them since she's seen the blood all over the wall. The first picture she sees is the one with all the cuts to the back of her head. And she decides right there that this wasn't an accident. Mm -hmm. So it didn't take much convincing after she saw that. So from that point forward, Candace and Caitlin are on the state side. Caitlin had originally talked to the press saying her mother would be devastated at how the state was treating Michael. But now she has changed her mind with her aunt, and there's a rift between the children and the rest of Kathleen's family. So Michael's four children still believe he's innocent. And it's very hard because they'd come from one big happy family, and now it's torn apart. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got Michael's kids, which are Todd and Clayton, and then we got Martha and Margaret, which are the kids that Patricia and him, his first wife, adopted when they were babies so they're on his side and then we've got candace and caitlin which is kathleen's daughter from another marriage on the other side saying that he did it so it's just a mess so michael's defense team is still saying he's innocent and start to find what they claim are flaws in the autopsy report 
They look at numerous other cases of blunt force trauma and found that none of the cases look like the lacerations found on Kathleen's head. The medical examiner didn't find any neck or skull fractures and she didn't find any bleeding on the brain or of the brain, mm -hmm. which is normal with a fatal beating like the one Kathleen endured or what they said she endured. Mm -hmm. Rudolph and Meyer say the facts were inconsistent with the murder and that the police are overlooking a big fact in the case, that there was no motive for Michael to kill her. So they're like, you have no motive. And these skull and neck fractures that usually happen when someone has blunt force trauma mm -hmm. that they died from are not there. So they're like, and I mean, they looked up, I'm sure I cover this later because it's been so long since I did this, but they literally looked in the state of North Carolina at blunt force trauma cases mm -hmm. and all of them either had a head or neck fracture or something of the sort yeah. that Kathleen didn't have. I mean, and David Rudolph, like, you want him on your team. Yeah. Okay. You want him on your team. He's going to do the work. He's going to know the facts. He's just like Camille. Yeah, he's like the Camille of this case. <laughs> David Rudolph is the Camille. And this other, the Thomas Meyer guy is, mm -hmm. I don't know what that other man's name is, but he did a good job too, sorry. Um, but y'all know who I'm talking about, little skinny tall man. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, the more David Rudolph looked into Michael's life, he was convinced he had a target on his back. He was very critical of the Durham Police Department in his articles he wrote for the p town paper, the Durham Herald. So he's talking about the police yeah. in his newspaper articles. His team said he wasn't being prosecuted. He was being persecuted because of what he wrote in his column. So the defense team pulls out the big guns and hires Dr. Henry Lee. So Dr. Lee is famous in the true crime community. He's a forensic expert and testifier. He's been in big trials including oj simpson's trial so you know everybody knows dr lee he's mm -hmm. on a lot of the true crime tv shows and everything they also hire a photographer to take pictures of everything at the crime scene and then they board up the staircase they determined to they're determined they're determined to convince everyone that this was a drunken accident the state is busy looking for a murder weapon in this time mm -hmm. So the medical examiner said the weapon should be cylindrical in shape and had to be something that could wrap around the skull since there was no skull fracturing or no fracturing to the skull. Candace tells them that she hasn't seen the blow poke, which is a cylindrical metal pipe you can blow in to give more oxygen to a fire without being too close. Mm -hmm. And it has a hook on the end to move logs in a fire, which I'm pretty sure is what flew off the yeah i think that's what beat up that little boy in the you know we need to find out if he had any neck fractures or, yeah. or, or we need to find out so anyway so candace had given one of these to kathleen for christmas one year she bought everybody in the family one mm -hmm. uh they bought a new one and ex and inspected its shape and found this could be what was used to attack her so so the state buys a blow poke. They're like, this could be it. Candace is like, I haven't seen this blow poke that I bought her for Christmas and I got everyone one. And they had a fireplace in the living room. So it was in like right in the living room, mm -hmm. right off from the staircase that she was murdered. And now it's gone. Nobody knows when it was gone, but they just know it's not there now. 
So the state gets a search warrant and starts to look for the missing blowpoke. They're checking everywhere in this huge house. So 10,000 square feet, they're looking everywhere mm-hmm. for it. They searched the grounds with metal detectors and dogs, but they couldn't find it. The police thought that Todd Peterson might have taken the blowpoke the night of the murder and then came back when the fire department arrived. They're going with this theory since they found that one drop of blood on the front porch mm-hmm. that came out of nowhere. So all this is happening in that one room. And then all the way out there to the front porch, there's one little drop of blood. And they can't figure out where it came from, mm-hmm. how it got out there or anything. So while they're in the house, they're also looking for a motive. This is when they start looking at Michael's computer and find things in his office. All right. So this is where it's about to get a little woo because Mm -hmm. they start finding all these things and it's starting to, they feel, give them a motive. So they found something they couldn't believe. They found stacks of military style, gay pornography, Mm -hmm. along with emails between Michael and a male sex worker talking about meeting up. Some of the pictures had droplets of blood on them, which was about 60 feet from the crime scene. This makes police rethink the scene they came into the night of the murder. When the officers were at the house that night, you know, they saw him going back and forth from the computer. Mm -hmm. And it was shown he was deleting things from his computer that night, not long after her death. The IT team was able to recover 2,500 pornographic photographs that had been deleted. That in nine? I guess so. Dang, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. He was deleting left and right, honey. He was like, I got to get this out of here. So, uh, yeah, they found that. Looking into their finances, they're broke. They have three daughters in college, two boys who need financial support, and over $140,000 in credit card debt. Kathleen was the... Yeah, so... (laughs) Let's just go back to that. (laughs) Three girls in college. And I don't remember where they went to college, um, but I don't think they were in state schools. So I think they went out of state for college, or at least one of them did. So, you know, with when you go out of state, it's going to be more expensive mm-hmm. in general. Oh, yeah. Or if they're going to private schools. I was going to say. Yeah. So you just never know. So... Yeah, all that's going on. The two boys need financial support, the $140,000 in credit card debt. They've mm-hmm. got a lot going on. Kathleen was the breadwinner of the family. Michael's books hadn't landed a movie deal yet, and he hadn't brought much money in for the household in about two years because he's just strictly a writer. Yeah. He's writing the columns. He's writing the books, you know, but nothing's really coming in anymore. And all the money was coming from Kathleen and her career for their family of seven. So, she had been spending weeks and months firing employees before she died and was worried she would be let go herself. Kathleen had left her laptop at work one night and used the computer in Michael's office. Her first marriage ended because her husband had an affair, right? So, they think when this happened, when she used Michael's computer, because she left her laptop, that she found the emails between Michael and the sex worker They believe she called him out on it and was going to leave him high and dry. They think Michael got mad and couldn't have his paycheck leave, so he picked up the first thing he found and murdered her. They think he just went overboard and killed her. 
Okay, so that was supposed to be where I ended it, but I'm only at 32 minutes, so I thought, well, I'll just go a couple more pages in and then maybe only be able to do a two-parter for this. So, doo-doo. Okay, so weeks later, where we leave off from, you know, just mm-hmm. a moment ago, Detective Art Holland gets a tip from Margaret Blair. Margaret is the biological aunt of the twins Martha and Margaret. Okay, so she tells the detective that her sister, Elizabeth Ratliff, tragically died 17 years ago, and she has information she'd like to share on her sister's death. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. So this is Martha and Margaret's mom that she's talking about. Like, she's, she, they, she's died, which I probably didn't tell y'all that yet. But that's why they were adopted. Okay, so here's the story about Martha, 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 Martha and Margaret. Martha, my Martha. And it's funny because that's who plays her. If you've seen in her shoes, Tony Collette's the one who's like, my Martha. That's my favorite part. We're in the diner and doing that. Yes, it's made of gold. And that's who plays Liz Ratliff. Or Hmm. I mean, that's who plays Kathleen in the story. That's crazy. Yeah, that was funny. Okay. So, in the 1980s, Elizabeth was living in Grafenhausen, Germany, with her husband and two daughters, Martha and Margaret. They meet Michael, his first wife, Patty, and their two sons, Todd and Clayton. Mm-hmm. Michael was working on books, and Patty was working on a military base as a teacher. Liz and Patty end up working at the same school, and they become friends. And in 1983, Liz's husband dies. His name was George. Um, in a military accident. George O'Malley. Yeah. So, which, that leaves her alone with her twin daughters. Mm -hmm. And they're babies. So, you know, it's a lot of responsibility for a young mother, and she's encouraged by Patty and Michael to move into the house across the street from them. Michael and Liz become closer because he was there to help with finances and is the closest male she has in her life. And he was there for her, you know. So they become really close. Mm-hmm. Her and Patty are already good friends. You know, they're just, they're like, move in next door. We'll help you, you know, which was really sweet, yeah. I think. So, okay. Then on November 24th, 1985, Liz and the girls had dinner at the Peterson home. Once dinner was over, Michael walked them home. And the next morning at 715, Liz's nanny, Barbara, arrives at the home and she finds the front door unlocked and the lights are still on from the night before. When she walks into the home, she finds Liz at the bottom of a staircase in a pool of her own blood. Mm -hmm. She reaches down to touch Liz and her body is still warm. Barbara runs to the Peterson's house for help. And when Michael gets there, he tries to get a pulse and tells them that Liz has died. So... This is the second person in Michael Peterson's life who has died falling down a flight of stairs. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it could be a coincidence. It may not be, Mm -hmm. but it's not (laughs) either way. It's not looking too good. Okay. So when the police arrived, Michael acted as the spokesman. He told the police when he left the night before, everything was fine. And this had to be an accident. He mentioned that she had been suffering from headaches and a blood disorder. So, he said she might have gotten dizzy and fell 
down the stairs and the amount of blood was caused by the blood disorder. Investigators process the scene and don't find any evidence of forced entry or a struggle. Days later, the medical examiner determines she's had a cerebral hemorrhage and possibly a stroke and rules her death as death by accident. Her body is taken back to America and is buried beside her husband in Texas. That crow's getting it, isn't it? Yes. They always are over here. (laughs) (sighs) But they're in the backyard and we're usually in the front room, Mm -hmm. so we don't hear them as much. Okay. Liz Ratliff had written a will soon after her husband's passing. In the will, in the will, she leaves her $35,000 estate and the custody of her two daughters to the Peterson family. Within months, Michael and Patty return to the U.S. and end up divorcing on mutual terms, and the children decide to stay with Michael. So I guess they gave them a choice, like, who do you want to go with? Mm -hmm. They didn't, like, do a custody battle or anything. A few years later is when Michael meets Kathleen, and they start raising their family together. So, they had this friend. She died down the fell down the stairs Mm -hmm. they took the kids they got divorced and so then by the time they were still young you know Kathleen had been in their life Mm -hmm. as well as Patty but I feel like Patty doesn't live in North Carolina if she does I feel like she doesn't live in Durham so anyway uh so then Detective Holland is stunned by the similarities of the two deaths they were both found at the bottom of the stairs with lots of blood at the scene with significant injuries Durham police reach out for more information uh, on Liz's case. Mm -hmm. Since the case was considered an accident, there were no crime scene photos and the autopsy wasn't thorough. There was no clear way to tell how she died. The only way to find out is to exhume her body, and to do that, they needed permission from Martha and Margaret. Mm. The district attorney, the district attorney didn't think Margaret and Martha would let them exhume their mother's body. At first, they did say no. They knew their stepdad was innocent and didn't want to do it. But then they say they will exhume her body so it will prove Michael's innocence. And so like in the documentary, they're recording some of this in real time as it's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, like they were doing the documentary and then later on it starts to show real time Mm -hmm. what's going on. But they said, you know, we'll do whatever we have to do to prove our dad's innocence. And if that means we have to exhume our mother's body you know we'll just do that so in bay city texas elizabeth ratliff is exhumed and transported to durham state medical examiner dr deborah radish is who completed kathleen's autopsy and she will now do the re-examination of liz ratliff as well when she starts the autopsy she finds that part of her brain has decomposed but the skull is intact She finds that Liz Ratliff has seven lacerations in the back of her skull Mm. and that her death was no accident. She died from repeated blunt force trauma to the head. She was murdered. Mm -hmm. This change from accidental death to homicide sent the media in a frenzy and it was picked up by national media outlets. People were obsessed with the case. It was big and frightening news. Big and frightening news. People were wondering if he had committed the same murder 17 years earlier. A hearing is conducted to see if the conclusion of Liz's autopsy can be used in Kathleen's murder case. The prosecution doesn't want the judge to rule yet because there was never a proper investigation into Liz Ratliff's death and they need more time to investigate. The judge grants their request. 
Detective Holland and Frida Black go to Germany to find out more information. So I'm going to stop there Mm -hmm. because the next thing is going to be when the trial begins. So I will leave it off there. Oh, it's getting good. It is getting good. It's so... I feel like people will, you know... There's people who believe he didn't do it. There's people who believe he did. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, at the end of this, when I do part two, you know, you may just have to see what you think. Mm -hmm. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, stories for the listener stories, you know, that could be something that we do. If we get enough of them, we could, you know, make one big document of them and then split it up and read them to you read them back to some of you um but you know if you want to do any of those things you can email us at a million murders at gmail.com you can also head over to our instagram a million murders and check out the, vi- the videos <laughs> the video. check out the pictures of the cases that we cover and you can also go to our facebook page and start discussions there or what have you yes and i think that's it for now so thank you all for tuning in we hope you come back for a a million million more more. bye bye (laughs) so long